Good morning. Happy Sabbath. Welcome to Common Reason Bible Study. My name is Russell Atkins, and uh, I'm filling in for Tim this morning, who is right there. <laughs> for a change, uh, Tim is in town, and uh, I'm teaching. We're, we're doing a makeup from the, the first blizzard we had uh, last week. Uh, we're studying Lesson 10 today. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for... Um, this day, this day in seven, and I want to thank you for what it represents and what it uh, tells us about your character. I want to thank you for the opportunity to freely be able to learn, free able, freely be able to express our opinions. Um, it's uh, unusual, and uh, we live in that we live in a country where we're able to do that, and we don't take those privileges lightly. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to. Um, learn about your character. Thank you for the light that you've shed on this class and the responsibility that that light uh, comes with. Please guide our class uh, corporately and individually. Uh, continue to bless it uh, so that we may hasten your coming. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Brief announcement. Um, on Saturday, March 21st, at the Hamilton Community Church, Dr. Jennings is going to be doing a uh, another seminar. Uh, it's entitled God and the God Shaped Church, or excuse me, God and Your Church. Uh, from 2.30 to 6 p.m., Hamilton Community Church, 7997 Shalliford Road. Um, t- tell me again the three talks that are going to be. Oh, yeah, when all else fails. Uh, first is Growing Up in Christ, talking about the seven levels of moral development and decision-making. Uh, second, becoming a spokesperson for God, telling the story of the cosmic conflict from beginning to end. That's going to be useful because um, uh, I can speak for myself. I often have a hard time encapsulating it uh, and seeing the big picture when I'm, I'm talking to those who are less uh, familiar with the, the great controversy perspective that we have. And third talk is answering difficult Bible questions. Um for example, why did God say the ground is cursed? Why did God say the man will rule over women? Uh, how do we understand God killing people in the Old Testament? And, and several other difficult questions that uh, we may have to answer or we may have to uh, field when we're sharing our faith. Also, on Tuesday the 24th at the Hamilton Community Church from 7 p.m. until whenever, um, I'm going to be doing a uh, study on Tim's book, the, um, Could It Be This Simple? Uh, one of the members in um, at the Hamlet Community Church has asked, asked Tim to do it. He's, he's too busy, so he asked me if I would do that. So we're going to be going over his book, Could It Be This Simple? There is a study guide. I will be providing books um, for the class uh, along with the you know study guide along with it. We'll probably be doing... Couple chapters a night. I'm guessing it'll last seven, eight weeks. Tuesday nights, seven till whenever. Okay. Lesson ten: Behind the mask. Sabbath's lesson: uh, The memory verse. Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of the great. Um, do we think that Solomon wrote this because he was a king, and he didn't want someone exalting him? themselves in front of him or do he have some other additional insight uh, that he's trying to uh share with uh you know his progeny and and folks down through time 
Any thoughts? Do not stand, do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king. Do not stand in the place of the great. The masquerader, it sounds like. I mean, it sounds like he's, you could look at this through the lens of the cosmic conflict between good and evil. Mm-hmm. And you can see, don't, don't try and be somebody you're not. Don't try to masquerade and put yourself off as somebody that you're not. Especially the created being put themselves off as the creator. Good. That's actually a perspective I hadn't considered. Wendell? He was a king. Mm-hmm. He knew what kings could do. He was a word of warning. Okay. Where my mind went to was the, the difference between earthly kingdom and the heavenly kingdom. Um, in earthly kingdoms, those who exalt themselves in the presence of the king or, or who try to take over his throne, as it will, they usually end up with a drastic end. If if when we get to heaven, we want to sit on God's throne, do you think he'll let us? I'm fairly certain that if, if I wanted to sit on God's throne, he'd say, sure, help yourself. Might even be able to sit on his lap. Okay. We've, we've discussed this before, that... Um, you know, when, when when Scripture tells us that Lucifer wanted to exalt himself above the Most High and enthrone and, and himself in God's throne, he wasn't. we weren't talking about an actual throne. If Lucifer had really only wanted the throne, God would have said, it's yours. Take it. I, I don't need it. The heavens are my throne and the earth is my footstool. Lucifer's exaltation was different when he wanted to enthrone himself on a different sort of throne. So let's uh, let's consider these uh, these comments that uh, that and these insights as we uh, move along. First lesson speaks about deception, uh, specifically Satan's deception of Eve appearing as an angel of light, and calls self pretension a more dangerous perception, uh, a more dangerous deception. Excuse me. Um, don't they have the same source? Is the the exaltation of self? I mean, isn't that what? Isn't that what Satan was doing? Exalting self or attempting to exalt self? Think about why Satan would present himself as he was originally recreated instead of what he has become. What would be the what would be the the wisdom behind that? None. None? No wisdom in presenting himself from something he's not. He'll be able to deceive more people presenting himself as an angel of light as opposed to... Um, I see what you're saying. What would be the strategy? Behind strategy, okay. Wisdom versus strategy. Yes, all right. That's correct. Yeah, okay, yeah. True wisdom. There is no true wisdom in it. But there is a strategy behind it. Don't, don't we all kind of wear masks uh, to varying degrees? In a dating relationship, don't we got to put our best foot forward for a while? And and uh, have you guys ever heard of um, a, a concept called progressive disclosure? Okay, we use it here in Adventism. We use progressive disclosure all the time, especially the evangelistic. Yes, I was thinking the same thing. That's right. That's and, and that's that was where my mind went as well. You know, we we don't. 
on the first Friday night of an evangelistic series, we don't um, stand up and tell our Catholic brethren that, hey, welcome, the papacy represents the Antichrist. <laughs> we don't do that. Okay? And you should clarify that not everybody thinks that that is the <laughs> Well, fair, fair enough. But that's what's been traditionally taught in our, in our evangelistic series. Is it's usually on the last night. That's right. That's correct. Well said. Christ himself said, there is much that I have to tell you, but you cannot bear it. So the reason for progressive disclosure can be for the need of the one that's learning. They can't comprehend, they can't handle the evidence. It would be devastating for them like a parent with a child. Mm -hmm. Or it could be because of one's own. In other words, it could be out of love for the person. Yes. Or it could be done out of a sense of self-preservation because you fear what people will think of you. Correct. They actually know you, so you're self-protective. So the progressive disclosure itself is, is just a process. Mm -hmm. It's the motive behind the process that seems to make the difference. That's right. It's also, if we truly are learning in the in the University of God, you don't start out with math level fours. Right. When you go into a math program, you start out with elementary stuff in which you build the foundation and a language. That's correct. A friend of ours is having difficulty with chemistry, and I told her that the beginning chemistry is nothing but a foreign language. You're learning the language by which you'll talk <laughs> at an upper division class. And so. Just like learning a foreign language is difficult, but that's what you start with. That's right. I, I remember my first week of anatomy, learning medial, lateral, superior, inferior, sub, supra, all these Latin prefixes, prefixes and suffixes and, and anatomical markers. And it was. It was learning a foreign language. Uh, and I struggled until I learned the language. But then you, you gradually go from elementary up to more complex. And so progressive revelation is how we learn. Yes. And you can't jump to the end. Right. right. Well, it's an act of mercy not to over-disclose. You know? Sometimes, that's correct. That, that was my... You, your child. You're reading my notes. Tell them too much when they're not ready for it yet. That's right. Yeah, I have right here. Bear in mind that love sometimes avoids telling the truth, but it's for the even if it will, if it will injure. It's not for the teller's benefit. And self selfishness sometimes tells the truth. Okay. When, in order to injure, that's right. When, when um, Lucifer impersonated Samuel at the, at the cave, the Witch of Endor, and Saul was seeking guidance. Lucifer told him the truth. You and your sons will die tomorrow in battle. The, the purpose of that wasn't to, to uplift Saul. It wasn't to incite um, uh, repentance and, and the seeking of God. It was, to, it was to lead him to despair. The, um, you know, most, most of us have usually... I've usually, um, you don't have to look too far to hear, hear about someone who has falsified uh, information on a job application or uh, falsely claimed a military service. It's called stolen valor or exaggerated their abilities or endeavors. Uh, you know, reference Brian Williams, NBC News. Um, when their deceptions are discovered, what typically happens? 
And more to the point, what happens if their deceptions are never discovered? Is, when it's discovered. Right. Right. When we talk about the masks that people wear, they're the masks that are conscious, purposeful, designed to defraud and, and, uh, and to build oneself up to get advantage over people, mm -hmm. what you're describing now. But then there are also the masks that people wear um, that are much more unconscious, that they're self-deceptive. Yes. They're, they're based off of a, a, oftentimes a dysfunctional childhood in which uh, traumas and exploitations happen and, and for survival mechanisms people begin telling themselves things about themselves that are not true. Oftentimes these dysfunctional masks that people wear are uh, not masks of beauty, but they're masks that are ugly, Right. They're masks that are pejorative. I'm worthless. I'm, I'm this, that, and the other. I'm ugly. I'm not, uh, I'm not valuable. Right. Which uh, which do you think is more dangerous, the, um, the deceptions that are discovered or the ones that are not discovered? And does it matter which law lens you view things through? It does matter which one. It does, it does matter. If you're looking at the legal law lens, then you don't want them discovered. Correct. If you're looking at the uh, natural law, discovery is the only thing that heals. Discovery can lead to repentance and restoration. That's right. If, if you're if the child molester is never discovered, see this is a great point for the final judgment. Yes, if you look through the the two law lenses. People looking through the the, the imposed law lens believe that there has to be an investigation of records to look at the deeds that people have done to see if there's been legal accountability and blah, 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 blah. There needs to be a tribunal. There needs to be somebody passing a judicial finding to determine mm -hmm. guilt and innocence. Uh, but when you understand design law, you understand that people are either reconciled and living in harmony with God's design and been healed to live in his presence, or they're out of harmony and they can't live there. It'd be very similar to everybody having an uh, infection with anthrax and Everybody's claiming to take the, the, the antibiotic remedy, but only 50% of the people are taking the remedy. You don't actually have to have a tribunal to find that out. Right. You just have to observe what happens, and it becomes self-evident who's actually getting well and who's not getting well. And this is why in the end, in, the, in, in Revelation, it says, let him who is righteous be righteous still, let him who is wicked be wicked still. It's just a diagnosis of condition. That's right. But it does make all the difference which lens you look through. Amen. Sunday's lesson, The Mystery of God. Um, this is straight from the lesson. Physicist David Deutsch wrote that, quote, everyday events are stupendously complex when expressed in terms of fundamental physics. Physics a natural or imposed law? Typical, yes, design law. If you fill a kettle with water and switch it on, all the supercomputers on Earth working for the age of the universe cannot solve the equations that predict what those water molecules will do. Get your minds around that for a minute. Even if we could somehow determine their initial state and that of all the outside influences on them, which is in itself an intractable task. This is from his book, The Beginning of Infinity. First of all, I think this is one of the more compelling arguments for an intelligent design uh, that I've ever read. Is there, is there anything else we can glean from this passage? And I don't know whether he's a... a intelligent design proponent or whether he's an evolutionary background, I have no idea. But the point being made is that based on natural law, the laws of physics, the known laws of physics, 
it's impossible to predict what uh, water molecules are going to do when taken from room temperature to boiling. And he means with specific paths through time space. Yes. He doesn't mean how they're going to start vibrating and their vibrations are going to increase and, and they'll eventually turn from a liquid state to a gas. He's not talking, that's very predictable. Right. He's talking about their specific movement through time space. Which one is going to move this direction? Which one's going to move that direction? Right. Thing. Assuming that you could ever be definitive in, in stating what their state to begin was uh, in, in the first place. We're in time space to start. Right. Um, from Proverbs 25, verse 2 and 3, the glory, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of kings to search out a matter. As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. Why, why is it considered the glory of God to conceal a matter? Or is that an accurate statement? Is it God's glory to conceal a matter? Is it his only glory? Well, if his glory is his character, then what you were saying before about sometimes it's better not to push too far where people aren't ready, or or sometimes concealing is is the kind of thing, um, depending on circumstances. Okay, Christ came and revealed his character, but he veiled it. He veiled his glory, or else mankind wouldn't have been able to, you know. Stand in his presence. Yeah, I'd like to. I, I, I have the, the Hebrew on this passage, but I'd like to look at it to see if, it, if a rendering could read something like this. It is the glory. Um, the, the glory of God is a mystery. Yes. Rather than it is the glory of God to conceal. Well, God also had to shield His glory from Moses because Moses wasn't able to take it. So. Well, you see, that, that's true. Two different definitions of glory, right? Right. Okay. okay. Um, there is one use of the word that means bright, shining splendor, you know, spark, sparkles in the sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the other is character. Right. And if you look at the character aspect, that was revealed to Moses. Mm-hmm. The bright glory that was hidden from Moses, uh, or at least partially, because he, he came down radiating. And if, if you think about the, the prophecy in, in the Old Testament, it describes that the second temple would be more glorious than the first temple. Mm-hmm. Yet the second temple, when the, when the family heads came from captivity after 70 years, they saw the foundations that began to wail and moan. They wept. Because it was so much smaller in size than Solomon's temple. What made it more glorious? Well, Bible scholars say because Christ walked up there in his person. God was there physically. Mm-hmm. Remember Solomon's temple dedicated, God came physically in his brightness of his glory. And so the scripture is making the case that it's his character that is the most glory, not the bright, shining stuff. Right. And so then I go back here, then this mystery, because it talks about mysteries in the New Testament. The mystery has been hidden through ages and so forth. Is God the one who's been hiding? I, I don't like this translation. Yeah. I think the mystery is hidden by the lies of Satan, which has veiled our view in God. And God is working to reveal the mystery to us, which is his character. And so I would say, you know, God's character is a mystery. And even when he reveals that he's infinite, so it still is always mysteries there for us to, uh, to discover. But I don't think God is the one hiding. Right. I, I agree. I agree with that, but I also think if we're going to be studying God's character for eternity, there is an infinite amount of God's character that we don't comprehend and we don't have the vocabulary to even study. Sure. I think possibly that we we can look at things and say, and, and I have very much appreciated and benefited from 
my limited understanding of Kohlberg's stages of development. I think when we get to eternity, we're going to see that there's a lot more than seven stages of development. There may well be. infinite number of stages of development, but we can't even comprehend that. So I think to a certain degree, there are... There is a whole portion of God's character that is veiled to us because as as someone at at stage six would try to describe to some someone at stage two, we've just discussed before in our class, they can't even comprehend that. I think even for us, well, I don't even want to say even for us, but certainly for us, we are going to see things in God's character that at this point in time, we can't comprehend. That, 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 no, that's right. But but the problem is with us. It's not with God. It's not because God is trying to trying to hide it, trying to trying to keep us from discovering it. It's just because we are physically, mentally, and spiritually unable to and perhaps would be confused, assimilated, or overwhelmed by it. Yes, Wendell. As the Creator, what God has created is immensely complex. And as we've learned through physics and other things, splitting the atom and whatnot, amazing things. Mm-hmm. And those are hidden from us not because God overmasked and, and put something so that it was indelible, you know. It's, it's done in a way that it's so complex that it's hidden from our eyes. And so as the creator, God is, is to be awed from all what he has, most of which is hidden. Right. We'll never come through understanding that. Yes. And when we think about Satan's first accusations against God, part of it was him withholding good. Right. And so uh, it can't mean that he's withholding something good from us that we could handle or we could, could understand because that, that doesn't line up with his character. So see, the, the question isn't whether there are things beyond our comprehension that are hidden from us. That's a given. Yes. There are things beyond our comprehension that are hidden from us. The critical issue for me is, what's the character of God? Is he the God? Is he a God who's actively working to conceal, to make it hard for us to understand, to put obstacles in our comprehension, to, to, to blockade learning and discovery? Or is he the God who's trying to reveal as much as we're capable of constantly the source of light? The source, you know, Jesus is the light that lightens all men. You see, he's coming to reveal. And there is an enemy afoot who is actually the source of lies and the, and, and the one who is the, the father of darkness and who's trying to cloud our minds and, and, and make us not understand. And our own limited abilities and our own confused states do this. So I, to me, that's the key issue. Yes, there, there are things we don't understand, but God is always trying to reveal and lead us to greater and greater light, greater and greater insight. And it is the enemy who is doing this. So the, the way we interpret the passage is, is critical to how we see right. God. Right, right. Yes. I visualize it somewhat like an ant. Uh, We know that ants are very industrious, that they have a lot of networking and communication beneath them. They're they're amazing. Mm -hmm. And yet the ant at the picnic, that's their world huge. And that's just one little thing. They don't see what we see as humans. I kind of see it as if we're in God's position, the ant is us. And how the ant views things versus us looking down at the ant. Interesting perspective. So um, the glory it says the passage also says is the glory of kings to search out a matter. And my, my 
my mind went to are you, why why does there tend to be a tendency in, in Christianity to actually just give up on searching uh, the, some of the mysteries of God? While, while there's an obvious insurmountable gap between finite and infinite, um, does this mean we should just not bother? Should, should, or should we just, quote, have more faith? Um, God's ways are our ways. Yes, the, the bottom, the colored section of Sunday's lesson. Uh, someone read that, please. Life is so full of unanswered questions, isn't it? In a split second, seemingly random events can mean the difference between life and death. Some people go from one tragedy to another, while others do fine. All this should tell us that we need to live by faith. What things are happening right now in your life that you have to, ex- to accept by faith, trusting in God? What other choice do you have? <laughs> yes, what other choice do we have? You know, the namesake of our class is come and reason. There's some process between, there must be some benefit from wrestling with these mysteries that, uh, that is for our good. Might, might we develop a, a better appreciation for an infinite God and a caring, loving God if we, if we start wrestling with some of these, minist- these mysteries as opposed to saying, well, I just need more faith. I mean, really, people? I think sometimes we don't want to wrestle because we don't want to go where we know the path might lead, too. No, I, 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 well said. And in the heart, the foundation of that is fear. Fear of what we're going to discover about ourselves. Fear of what we're going to discover about others. Fear of, you know, the fear that we have um, been wrong about our God concept. Yeah, there's, there's lots of that in this church. You know, we, we've, we've spent a lifetime presenting a certain type of a God and to turn the ship around and, and admit that your entire life's work was an error yeah, this, must be difficult. This is one of the beautiful things Ellen White wrote once. She said, no truth can afford to be fair. It loses nothing by close investigation. Amen. See, when you're searching for truth and you've got, and your heart wants to know what's really real, what's real, what's true, what's accurate, what's reliable, what's predictable. Uh, you know, that's how I understand it, but maybe, maybe there's something amiss in the way I understand it. You have nothing to fear for searching for the truth because if you know the truth, you only get confirmation. I see this in relationships with people all the time where they're dating somebody who is clearly disqualified. They're too immature. They're impulsive. They have no self-governance. They, they can't, they're not loyal. They're not faithful. But the person involved has very strong emotional attachment. Mm-hmm. They don't want to look at the evidences of that person's functional ability. And so they deny, oh, he didn't mean to hit me. He, he was having a bad day. Oh, he, he only drinks when he's having a hard time at work, he, which is seven days a week. Um, he, <laughs> you know, and, and, only on days that end and why. These excuses, <laughs> denial and distort, because they don't want to accept what's real and, and what's real. But if, if you have that attitude of searching for truth, then you investigate the qualities of character of the person you're with, and that person is reliable, mature, uh, confident, and, and so forth. You only come to be confirmed in your relationship, and it only becomes more solidified. And so I think, you know, what we said earlier is exactly right. People sometimes don't want to pursue approach because they unconsciously are aware there's something in their life that's going to have to change that they don't want to give up. Yeah. In the back. Part of that also is when one has been taught about a, a very harsh God, uh, then there can also be a fear element of what if that is true, and if I go asking questions, what kind of vindication or, or, or vengeance is going to come at me? 
Um, and so they, they, there's can be a fear factor of not wanting to pursue uh, in case they find out bad. Of, or you get in trouble for asking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, when you said yeah. also fear of what we'll find out about ourselves, that's a very scary thing for me. When, you know, that prayer of David's to search my heart, that's hard to pray sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. All the time. <laughs> Wendell. On Sunday's lesson, um, one, two, I guess it's the third paragraph, what makes the glory of God different from the glory of kings is his mysterious nature and by implication our human incapacity to fully understand him. Well, that's what makes us different at all. No, I, I agree. God is totally different than human kings and, you know. And, and praise him that that's the case. Yeah. Uh, Monday's lesson, The Fool as Wise. Um, first paragraph, though not a recent fabrication, especially in the Western world, the idea has taken hold in recent years that argues for the relative nature of truth. That is, what is true for one person or one culture might not be true for another. Uh, while on one level this is always correct, some places drive on the right-hand side of the road and others on the left, on another it's a dangerous error, especially in the moral realm. My question, is truth actually relative? Do the laws of physics care which side of the road you drive on? So why, why do the authors have trouble with this idea? I don't know. Because they look through an imposed law lens. And they see moral law as imposed. Yes. And this is why they have trouble with it. They want a moral law to be absolute rules made up. And, and they're struggling here. But, but when you understand design law, as, as Russell's saying... Laws of physics don't care what side of the road you're They don't change. They're not changeable. That's right. Is true really which side of the road you drive on? No. No, no it isn't true. It's convention. That's right. It's, it's tradition. It's habit. But one, one of my favorite. Yeah, but the imposed law changes. But it's not truth. It isn't truth. That's right. But one of my. One of my one of my hobbies is to take. <laughs> yes, the law. When you meet an oncoming car, head on, and the the Newtonian laws of momentum come into play, that's truth. One of my hobbies is to take my car to local racetracks and drive it as fast as I can. And the general manager of the driving club that I'm with. Uh, on the second day driver's meeting, he loves to say, had a good day yesterday, guys. Continue to be careful out there. The laws of physics haven't changed overnight. <laughs> and they haven't. The friction coefficient between rubber and asphalt is unchanged. The, um, Your tires match. The law, yes, right. Tires and brakes may have changed. Uh, the, the track may be wet or cold. Tires may be wet or cold. The drivers may be cold. <laughs> The uh, but the Newtonian the laws of momentum haven't changed the laws of acceleration the laws of gravity they they remain constant and predictable. Um, and again, you know the, the lesson speaks about the moral law. We've already touched on this. Is there any connection between driving on the wrong side of the road or without brakes and our moral code? Uh, what are some of the parallels or differences between? 
between thinking that you are immune to the laws of physics and thinking you're immune to a moral law, a natural moral law. Damaged either way. I mean, either. That's right. <clears throat> but when when a municipality or a nation imposes a law that says you must drive on the left hand side of the road, and that same same nation imposes the moral code, mistakes can be made. Um, let's see. In one of the paragraphs here, sorry, I'm switching back and forth between apps. Um, <laughs> Lost. Russell, while you're looking, one other element of that is so often people think that if they uh, violate or, or act in a way inconsistent with whatever the given truth or law is, that they're only damaging themselves. But unfortunately, so often, they create damage for others as well. That's right. So it, it goes beyond just one one's own self-interest. We're Are you saying there's nothing such as a victimless crime? Never. <laughs> yeah, okay. Did you have a question? Did you have a question? Are you talking to me? Yes. Uh, all my mind's just spinning. <laughs> so is mine. Um, with, with with the more what you just said a minute ago with the moral law, and I can see that. But what happens? How do you put that into a situation with sinful human beings, where we live in a state of grace, which somehow magically, and I'm being loose in my language, if you'll forgive me magically erases all and every sin that we can commit. Um, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. How do you, how do you uh, incorporate this natural digression from a moral paradigm when you expect to fail? If you expect to succeed as a moral human being, you're going to fail. Well, so should you live your life with the expectation of failure, or should you delude yourself into a situation where you're not really failing, you're succeeding? Well, we need to flesh out the difference um, between sin or sins and uh, mistakes. I understand that. Okay. Scripture tells us that uh, at the time of Christ's second coming, there will be those on earth living without sin. Okay? To him that overcometh, will he grant to sit in the kingdom of heaven? This, so that, that's without grace, then? No, that's no, no, no. The gracious of God has provided you with the ability to overcome. It's not by your strength. I don't see a human state that exists or that will exist at any future time that doesn't currently exist now in spiritual reality. I think well, that's human. Even, even back in the time of, of Elijah, when he was um, lamenting that he was the only, the only guy on earth that, uh, you know, that knew God and was a friend of God, God said, stop your whining. I still have me 8,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Um, and at that time, you know, that was 
that was a definition of of living uh, you know according to God's plan. So grace which law lens do you look to these questions? So it's like, yes. It always comes back to this. It does. If you're looking through design law, grace means one thing. If you're looking through imposed law, grace means another thing. But if, if you go to the Greek, the word grace is kairos, from which we get chiropractor. It actually means the work of the hand. This work of the hand of God mm-hmm. is what grace is. And grace is God's work to recreate in us yes. his character. Yes. Okay? And yes. thus we are to be, in the metaphors of Scripture, heart circumcised by the Spirit, have the mind of Christ, be reborn, be recreated in the inner man, uh, have the heart of stone removed, the heart of um, flesh put within, have the law written upon the heart or mind. These metaphors are actually describing a transformational process inside the mind, heart, and character of the believer. Thus, they get new motives, new attitudes, new perspectives, new ways of seeing, new choices, new desires that, that, are, that are contrary to the, the and, and breakdown of the root. It is, am I fear-driven survivalist watching out for myself? Or am I love-driven, other-centered person compassionate for others? Okay? And, 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 and this is what it says in Revelation 12, 11, Those ready for translation, these are they who do not love their life so much as to shrink from death. This is, this is the perfection, the perfection of character, not the perfection of a particular behavior or action. Thus Rahab, who lied behaviorally, did so by putting herself out there to sacrifice herself to protect others, which was an act of love and faith, which you see her in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews. And so when you look through design law, you see transformation happening within the person, and this is what's happening for people, and we can expect that to actually be real. The reason we don't see victory in Christianity is because Christianity has been sold a bill of goods with a false um, remedy that does not work, primarily called penal substitution theology, where we take care of a legal problem in a legal courtroom in heaven by getting the blood of Christ applied to some record books, rather than the transformational partaking of what Christ said, unless you partake of me, you have no... Yeah, there's no, there's no life within you. So th- this is the this is the big difference. Design law, proposed law makes all the difference. Did that did that help? Well, yeah. Let me follow up very quickly. Hey, man, that's this is great. That's right on. You know, um, back in the '70s, back when I was younger, a lot younger, uh, we had Desmond Ford and Walter Ray, and we had this. We were, I was at Ultawa Church with my parents back then. I thought you looked familiar. Yeah, and I remember. I mean, just the huge schism that was going on in the church between, I mean, Desmond Ford said that sinlessness in this life is a shimmer, a dream. It ain't going to happen. Oh, Lord, the legalist and the whatever in the Adventist church just went ballistic. You're saying we can't overcome sin, blah, blah, blah. Well, on the other hand, you had these people who said just what you either said or alluded to, and that was that... Jesus won't come back until he has a perfect people. And there were people that were focusing unmercifully on lack of sinning in their own lives. And the difference, again, comes back to which law lens you look through. The word perfect. Yes. Are you looking through the word perfect through the imposed law lens, which then drives you straight back to behaviors and the deeds you do? This is where people get terrified and fearful that I'm going to do the wrong thing. Or do you look at perfect through the design law lens, which is a perfect trust relationship where I trust God. Into your hands I commend my spirit. I trust you with the outcome of my life. It's a perfect trust, not a perfect performance. So my question is, why is it necessary for us to say out loud, there will be a perfect people who have stopped sinning when Jesus comes? Well, I don't... I don't 
I don't know that it is necessary. How will we know when that happens? Will they know that they've reached this sinless state when they get there? I don't. Uh, I don't have any insight on that. I, I really think that I re- think that those who are living in harmony with uh, God's ways and methods and principles will be inherently distrustful of themselves. They they will they will understand. They will have experienced um, the the train wreck that sin has reproduced in their life, and they will be struggling to to overcome it with God's grace. They will be. They will. They will see themselves as unworthy. They will see the destructiveness of sin. They will they will abhor it, but they will still they'll still be making mistakes. And and the like the mistake is not like there would they would have reached a place in their lives where love and God's love and love for God will have totally eclipsed anything remotely related to self doubt or self loathing. It will, but it will. I don't know that they will be aware of it. You know the other aspect of this word perfection. Again, goes back to the law lens. Yes. Are you looking through design laws and you understand that we're sick? We're deviating from God's design. We're not operating the way He constructed us to. Thus, how many of you, when you're sick and go to the doctor, only want to be partially healed? Or how many want to be perfectly healed? The perfection is a perfect healing that comes through God's grace working in us to restore and recreate us. It's not a perfect work that we do in our own behalf to make ourselves good. And this is what, again, the imperialistic law construct drives people to look at their own behavior rather than the design law, which drives us into a relationship with love and trust where we are transformed by a power beyond ourselves. One of of the other... um interesting things i've read uh regarding this word perfection in a western mind perfection is a destination you you arrive and you're done in the uh, in the eastern uh concept perfection is an ongoing journey it's it's a it's a never you never reach perfection it's a process it's a, it's an ongoing process where that it's almost it's you know trying to approach an infinite God. You continue learning more and more about perfection, learning more and more about an infinite God, but you never arrive. If Christ were to come tonight, would all of us here be sinless? I don't know. I, I don't know your hearts. Thankfully, one one last comment. And we got to wrap up. Well, it it sounds to me like one of one of our stumbling blocks is. In order to do the natural versus imposed, we virtually have to start from scratch and completely redo our vocabulary. And part of what I'm hearing is our old vocabulary keeps coming back and messing up our ability even to understand or to express ourselves. But I think there will be a point in time for all of us that... It's not a matter of, am I perfect enough? But we will, we will see such a beauty in God's character that we will have peace and say, you know what? I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing this, this fearful thing all the time. I'm at peace with God's character because I know who He is and how He acts towards me. And I just keep working with Him. And I'm not in some cave going, what did I? Yeah, checking off your checklist. Yeah. You know what? Like we, we've touched on this before. You know, Tim has, has suggested when you reach a point where you can tell God, you know what, Lord? If you know the universe is going to be better without me in it, I'm okay with that. Take me out. Because that's like saying, can you create a square circle? Yeah. That doesn't happen. <laughs>
let's uh, let's close with a short prayer, and then we'll get to lesson eleven. Heavenly Father, thank you for again for this opportunity um, to uh, to study and to, to learn more about your character. Thank you for the light that you've given us and you've blessed us with, and we ask for your guidance and grace uh, as we share that light with others so we can hasten your coming. In Jesus' name, amen.